Have you ever stopped to think how much Jesus has done for us? Have you thanked him recently? Hi, this is Greg. I'm one of the pastors here at West Valley Christian Church. In this series, we'll be looking at some of what Jesus has done for us, and we hope that each week our heart is stirred with so much gratitude and we find ourselves thanking Jesus for all he's done. This gratitude will lead us to living the best life he wants for us. We hope you will join us in saying, Jesus, thank you, and enjoy the series. So can we thank Aaron and the worship team again for their, leading us this morning? Um, this probably isn't what I'm supposed to be thinking about during worship, but in first service, I was just so thankful to them because I was thinking about the staff, and I was thinking about how bad worship would be if we were leading it. Uh, as I was thinking about it, I, I, I think, I don't know if this is true or not, I think Pastor Greg at one point in his life knew how to play a guitar, um, and I know that the whole Wagner family can swing a tambourine, Okay. But aside from that, there isn't any musical ability, and so I'm grateful for them. And, and then I was thinking about just for all the people that come every Sunday and volunteer and make stuff happen, like there were people sitting in first service because they were going to teach a class during second service. There's some of you that are sitting in here right now because you taught a children's Sunday school class uh, during the first hour. I am grateful for our ushers who get here early and clean up. Even so, I'm grateful... I didn't mention them in first service. I can't believe they didn't turn off my mic. I'm grateful for the people upstairs. Okay, to keep the sound running. Like during the songs, it's not as easy as it looks to keep the words the right thing during a song. Okay, trust me, I've had to do it when I was youth pastor, and I'm pretty bad at it. So I'm uh, just grateful for everybody that, that makes things happen around here. Um, let, me, let me pray before I begin. Father, just thank you so much. I thank you for a beautiful morning outside, for another day of life that you didn't promise any of us. And I pray right now that as we look at your word, uh, just that your word would, would speak to us and uh, would just really hit us wherever it is that we need to be hit, Lord. Thank you, Father. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, you know, in each of our lives, there are dates and events that stand out, aren't there? There, there are dates and events in our lives that we remember, and we'll remember them our whole lives. Okay, now I don't particularly remember this date, but for me, August 16th, 1970 is a pretty significant date. Okay, it's significant to at least me and my mother, okay, since it was the day I was born. It's a date that I will always be able to remember, I hope. Uh, there's some other dates, and, and I'm pretty sure no one, not even my mom and dad, would be able to guess what these dates have in common. Uh, July 8th, 1971, even though they were there. May 31st, 1981, my parents were there too. Uh, November 10th, 1988, um, and I don't have time to explain this, but those are the three dates in which during my lifetime I was baptized, okay? And I like to think that the third one took, okay? That there won't be the need for a fourth one, but the third one took. And as a matter of fact, Pastor Rob is the one that baptized me that night, that Wednesday night on November 10th. 1988. Uh, December 19th, 1992 was the day that my wife and I got married. And uh, so <clears throat> this is a lot easier this service because she's not in the room. Um, but so like, remember there's those events, you may not remember the date, but you remember the moment. So for my wife and I, I remember the moment I met my wife for the first time. Well, actually, I didn't meet her so much as I saw her. So I was at a birthday party I was at my friend Scott Blodgett's house. It was his sister, Christy Blodgett's birthday. And as per usual, as 17-year-old John, I showed up to Christy Blodgett's birthday party with no present. Just like when we'd have church potlucks and I'd show up with no food, okay? 
But so I showed up to Chrissy Blige's birthday party with no present. And I remember I was sitting on Scott's couch and the front door was kind of in front of me. And my wife walked through the door and I remember looking at her and going, who is that? And how do I, how do, how do I get to know her? Okay. And so I spent the whole night doing whatever 17-year-old John could think of to just get close to her so I could talk to her. Okay. And, you know, some of you will say you don't believe in love in, at first sight. I can promise you my wife didn't either. Okay. Uh, I was taken in a couple of seconds. It took her about a year and a half. Okay. Whatever. 30 years of marriage later, I let that slide. All right. But I remember the moment that I saw her for the first time. Uh, April 7th, 1996. It was an Easter morning. That was when our first son, Andrew, was born. March 27th, 1998, I remember less about the day. It's our second kid, you know. Uh, but that was when Timothy was born. And so at least I remember the date, okay, which is good. But then there are other dates that like maybe as a, as a, as a whole we remember. Or maybe we weren't there, okay, but, but you know these dates. Like July 4th, 1776. Pretty much, I was going to make fun of Bill Regan, but I stopped myself. Okay, anyway, July 4th, 1776. Most of us probably have an idea what that date is. June 6th, 1944, pretty significant date in U.S. history. August 16th, 1977. This one might be a little harder for you all. Think Elvis, okay? Or then, and, and you know what? And some of the dates we remember, some of them are good and some of them aren't so good. And so like September 11th, 2001. And so for most of us, as we think of that date, you can remember exactly where you were when you found out what was going on. And so we have dates. And if I let you all come up here, you all could share different dates and events that were significant and important and powerful in your lives. The reason I, I say all this is for us to think about this. This week, like for the next seven days, as Christians, we are going to talk about, we're going to think about, we're going to study the most important event in the history of the world. More important than the day I was born, more important than when I or any of you got married or had children or any of those things. What we're talking about for this next week is the most important thing that's happened since we read in the Bible, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Because as we go through this week, we are thinking, we are talking about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Christmas gets all the glory, but Easter is where it's all at. Because at Easter, we remember that Jesus died for us. He took our place, that he was buried in the, ground, in the grave, but that he rose again. The most significant event in human history. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 through 5, Paul was writing. And he says, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. Like, this is the most important thing I'm going to share with you. This is the most urgent message Paul is saying I have for you. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third days, according to the scriptures, and then he appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve. So the most important message that Paul could share was that Jesus died for our sins, that he was buried, that he rose again, and that he appeared. This is the most important message that the church has to share. This is why we exist, to tell others about the gospel message. You know, from time to time, Pastor Rob will get complaints from people. 
doesn't want him to preach about this or to preach about that or to speak about this issue and that issue. You know what? Not that those issues aren't important, but that's not what the church exists for. The church exists to preach the gospel, to tell people about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Not everything else. That is what is most important. And so in this series, we're saying, Jesus, thank you. And I can't think of anything more important to thank Jesus for than what he did for us. So we've been going through the last several chapters of the book of John. And John actually devotes almost half the gospel to just the last week of Jesus' life. He goes into lengthy detail about the last week and everything that Jesus was doing. And so today, we're supposed to get through John chapter 18 and 19. Just like last week, Pastor Rob was supposed to get through 14 through 17. Impossible. Okay? And so, but I want you, now you're going to go, so sometimes Pastor Rob will say, welcome to my mind. Okay, welcome to John Stahlberger's mind for a second. Okay? Because we're going to talk about John chapter 18 and 19. We're going to look at the highlights of those chapters. We're not going to read through the whole chapters. But what I really want to do is this. You see, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they tell us about the cross. But as you look at the rest of the New Testament, as Peter and Paul and John, and then we're writing the letters in the New Testament, like we find out why the cross is so important. And so we're not going to spend all our time on John 18 and 19 today. We're going to look at it a little bit. But what I really want to get to is what Paul and Peter and John wrote about the cross, about why the cross was so important. But before we, before we get to that, let's, let's look at John chapter 18 and 19 for a second. If you have your Bible, you can up there, open up there. If not, that's okay. Um, right at the start of the chapter, it says when he had finished praying. And so last week, Pastor Rob talked to us about Jesus praying. He was praying for his disciples. And if you remember last week, probably the most important thing that Pastor Rob said like in his own mind was the idea that Jesus prayed for us. Because when he was praying for those that were far away, that's us. And so Jesus was praying for them. But as we know from the other gospels, that isn't all that Jesus prayed about. If you remember, in the other gospel, it tells us that Jesus was in the garden, and he was praying to his father, and he asked the disciples to pray with him. And so Jesus asked them to pray. He goes away and prays on his own, and he comes back, and what were the disciples doing? Okay, they were sleeping, okay? I believe their mind was willing, but their body was weak. Okay, they wanted to, but they were tired. Okay, it kind of reminded me this week, I was talking to someone when I was in high school and started coming to church here, in the building we were in, there had been some expansion, and so there, was a, there were a couple of pillars that were right in the middle of the sanctuary, and as a high schooler, I would try to find the seat right next to the pillar, so I could, you know, just rest my head a little, and so from time to time, I would wake up to Pastor Kirby's final amen, okay, and, and so that's what I think of, but the disciples, that they, I'm sure they want to stay awake, but they're tired. And so Jesus is praying, but what's he praying? If you remember in the Gospels, he's talking about, like, Father, if there's any way, let this cup pass from me. But that at the end of each of those prayers, we read that he says, not my will, but thy will be done. That's the kind of praying that Jesus has been doing here. And so as they're still there, they're still in that place where they've been praying, we read in John chapter 18 that Judas and some soldiers some of the chief priests and the Pharisees come to arrest Jesus. You know, and they say, well, who are you looking for? And, 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 and they say, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus is like, I'm him. Okay? And, and so we read in, this, in John chapter 18 that they go to arrest Jesus. And Peter, in his impetuousness, in his not thinkingness, 
we read that he reaches for a sword and he cuts somebody's ear off. Which is kind of interesting that Peter's the one that does that. Because as you keep reading, just a couple of verses later, like, like Jesus brought to Annas, who's the father-in-law of the high priest. But then right after you read that in John chapter 18, we read that people are asking Peter, hey, aren't you one of his followers? And Peter goes from cutting somebody's ear off to saying, nope, I don't know him. He asked, are you a father? I am not. Okay? Which is so interesting. I would love to be inside the mind of Peter for just a moment to understand such a radical change in courage. To go from swinging a sword to being, look, I don't know the man. So anyways, you keep going. Jesus goes to the high priest and he questions Jesus. And then after that again, we see Peter's second and his third denials. And as you read some of the other gospels, you know that, that after the third denial, Peter knows exactly what it does, he's done, and it says that he goes outside and he weeps bitterly because he did the exact th the thing that Jesus said he was going to do, and he said that he wouldn't. And then, then we read about Jesus before Pilate. And it's a very interesting conversations that Jesus and Pilate have because Pilate really didn't want anything to do with Jesus. Pilate, it seems, didn't want anything to do with punishing Jesus. He, he questions Jesus, he talks to Jesus, and he realizes that Jesus hasn't done anything to deserve death. And in verse 36 of chapter 18, Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. And Pilate responds, You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, You are right in saying I'm a king. In fact, for this reason I was born... And for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And that's when Pilate responds, what is truth? And so they have this conversation. And Pilate, even though he doesn't want to, I, I think he, he realizes Jesus hasn't done anything wrong. He's like, all right, you know, we're going to crucify you. And so we read in the early part of chapter 19, it says that Jesus was flogged, which means he was beaten. Quite often people didn't even survive that beating. We read about having a crown of thorns put on his head. We read about them mocking Jesus and hitting Jesus. And later on, though, as he's still talking to Pilate, Pilate says, don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? And in John chapter 19, verse 11, Jesus says, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. And I think Jesus is saying, listen, you think you're in charge, but my father's in charge. He knows what's going on here. And so then we read about the crucifixion. And, and on Friday, for our Good Friday service, which I encourage you all, if you have the opportunity to come to, uh, Pastor Rob will be sharing more uh, about the cross and probably reading this very passage. But what I want us to do is I want us to think about, like, why is the cross so important? You know, like I said earlier, the Gospels give us the details about the cross, but the rest of the New Testament kind of reminds us and it tells us why what happened at the cross is so important. And so again, if you have your Bibles, go to Ephesians chapter 2. It'll probably be on the screen, I assume, here in a second. Um, but Ephesians chapter 2, Paul is writing. And starting in verse 1, he says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and your sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his wrath, 
or because of his great love, not wrath, great love, for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Why is the cross so important? Because the cro- before the cross, you and I, we were dead in our sins. That's what Ephesians chapter 2 was telling us. In our sins, we were dead. We might have been alive physically, but spiritually, we were dead. And why are we dead? Because you know what? We were, cra- we were gratifying the cravings of our flesh. We all have the same problem. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And since all of us are sinners, we all have a problem with death. Sin leads to death. You know, on our own, we have no hope. We have no chance of bringing ourselves back to life spiritually. You know, when I was younger, one of my favorite commentary uh, writers was a guy named Warren Wearsby. And I liked him because he he wrote short books. um, And he was also very simple and very concise. Like most of his books uh, just had great application in it. And so for this section of scripture, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, and please forgive me, back in the day, everybody liked to like make all the letters the same, okay? And he used to do this in his writing. But in this passage, he talked about the four problems that we all had. He said in verse 1 that we're dead, verse 2 that we're disobedient, verse 3 that we are depraved, and verse 3 also that we are doomed, Okay? So because of that passage, Ephesians chapter 2, it tells us we are disobedient, we are depraved, we are doomed. But first it said we're dead. That's why the cross is so important, because in our sins, we were dead. But secondly, as we look at the second verse in Colossians chapter 2, there's another thing why the cross is so important. Colossians chapter 2 says, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Let me ask you guys this. Have you ever gotten a bill that you couldn't pay? Okay, have you ever gotten a bill that you didn't expect and it's like outrageous? Okay, so a couple years ago, our oldest son... Uh, had some surgery on his sinuses, um, and at some point, Kaiser decided to send us a bill. So one day I come home, and there's this thick envelope from Kaiser. And even though my son was an adult, this envelope said my name on it. And so I open up the envelope, more like a folder is what it felt like, but I open it up, and the first thing I see is the part that says, like, amount owed. Okay, and I don't remember the exact amount. Matter of fact, I I asked my wife to look for the bill because I am sure we kept it, okay? But what I remember is the bill where it said amount owed started with a six. And after that six, there were a lot of zeros. I mean, it was like six, zero, zero, zero. Like the zeros just kept coming, all right? And I remember I, I just got home from work. I'm opening this thing up and I'm looking at it and I am panicking. Like I immediately sit down. Okay, we don't need a second Kaiser bill, you know, for me falling and hurting myself. I'm looking at it. I'm like, man, do they know he's an adult? They can send this bill to him? You know, like, that's not my problem. And, and so anyway, they send us this bill. There's no way, there's no way we're going to pay this bill. Like, we can't even pay it, you know. So I'm panicking. Christina comes home. She calls Kaiser. And uh, they're like, oh, whoops, sorry. You know, we, we put something wrong in the computer. 
And uh, actually, we didn't know anything, okay? Uh, and so I'm like, why? I mean, I could have had a heart attack looking at that bill, you know? But there was no way that I could pay that debt. Well, you know what? That's a silly thing because it's just a bill. It's just money or whatever. But because of our sin, we all have a debt that we can't pay on our own. That verse in verse 14 says that Jesus canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness. He paid the bill. He nailed it to the cross. He took care of that debt for us. And it, as I was thinking about that this week, it reminded me of the Day of Atonement. The, the Jewish people have the, the Day of Atonement. And if you've ever read Leviticus chapter 16, it talks about the Day of Atonement. And so uh, before going into the tabernacle, Aaron... Well, he was to bathe himself, and he was to put on special garments for the day. And he would sacrifice a bull for a sin offering for himself and for his family. And the blood of that bull was sprinkled on the Ark of the Covenant. And so then Aaron would bring in two goats, one to be sacrificed because of the uncleanness and rebellion of the Israelites. And so all this is going on for this Day of Atonement. An animal is sacrificed so that just once a year, the Israelites' sins could be wiped out. And taken care of. And so that was the day of atonement. But with Jesus, the day of atonement is no longer necessary. As a matter of fact, if you read through the Gospels, early on as John the Baptist sees Jesus. Do you remember a couple of times John the Baptist sees Jesus and he says, he says look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You know, if you read through Leviticus and you read what's supposed to be the offerings, you're supposed to bring a lamb without defect. Jesus was our lamb without any defect. He was the lamb of God who took away the sins of our world, took away our sins. Jesus was our sacrificial lamb. He paid a debt that you and I could never pay. Way more significant than a stupid bill from Kaiser. The cross is important because he paid a bill that we couldn't pay ourselves. Peter writes this about the cross. In 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 23, it says, When they hurled their insults at him, he didn't retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. In this passage, it tells us that while they insulted him, he didn't retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats, and instead he trusted the person who sent him. Jesus on the cross teaches us how to suffer, but most importantly, his suffering brought us healing. I don't know how you guys are. I'm not very good at hiding my feelings. Okay, I'd be a terrible poker player. All right, if I had to make a living playing poker, I would starve to death. I'm just not very good at hiding how I feel. Like, you can generally look at me and, and know how I'm feeling about something. Like, especially if I'm unhappy. Like, I just have a, I have a, my resting face is just kind of generic, okay? Some people think it's an angry look, but it's just a generic look. But when I am unhappy, I'm not very good at hiding it. Okay? One of the things that also goes along with that is, you know what? I'm not very good at suffering in silence. Okay? Like if I'm suffering, everybody around me knows it. My wife knows it. My kids know it. The people at the grocery store know it. Random strangers I walk by know it. Like I'm just not one to suffer in silence. I, I wish I was better at it, but I'm not. 
And that's silly, and that's, that's really kind of dumb, but this passage is so important because they are insulting Jesus. And it says he didn't retaliate. And when he suffered, he made no threats. But it says that he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. And so Jesus teaches us how to suffer. That as we're going through hard things, as we're facing things that we don't deserve, and even things that we do deserve, that we need to trust in the Father and to know that he is in charge. Galatians chapter 3, verses 13 starts off, and it just says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. By his suffering, you and I, by his wounds, Jesus was wounded so that you and I might be healed. What a powerful verse. Now, now in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, Paul writes, In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. The cross is important. It's the ultimate act of humility. You know, when I was a kid and I was reading the NIV, that verse said, it said the verse like this. It says, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. And I didn't necessarily understand that when I was a kid. But when I grew up, I, I began to understand it was like something to be grasped. It wasn't something to be held on to. Jesus emptied himself. Jesus humbled himself so that you and I could be healed. And when Jesus emptied himself, the verses go on to talk about how the Father lifted himself up, or lifted him up. So Jesus humbled himself, but the Father lifted him up. That's a good lesson for us in our world, where we need to show more humility. We don't need to lift ourselves up. How about if we humble ourselves like Jesus did on the cross and allow our Father to lift us up? That's one of the important things about the cross. One of the things that Warren Wiersbe says about this passage is he didn't consider equality with God as something selfishly to be held on to. And so Jesus didn't think of himself, he thought of others. That's the mind of Christ that you and I are supposed to have. Okay, so now we come to, and I know we're coming towards the end, but I know we're coming to my favorite verse. This is probably my favorite verse in the whole of the New Testament. In Romans chapter 5, verses 6 to 8, say this. It says, you see, at just the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For a moment, I want you to think about who is it in your life that you would sacrifice your life for? Who is it that you would give up your life for? Who is it that you would pull away from a speeding bus to save them, sacrificing yourself? Who is it that if there was a violent situation, you would grab them and put them behind you? Okay, for just half a second, I want you to think about who you would push in front of that bus. Okay? Don't think about that person any longer. Okay? But I want you to think about who it is that you would save from that bus. Who is it you would save from that situation? That is what Jesus did for us here. Most of us, we would save our spouses, our children, our family, our friends, things like that. 
But what's so amazing about this passage to me is this. Jesus didn't come and die for those that already had it together. He didn't come and die for those that have already fixed themselves. It says that he came to die for those that were powerless, for those that were sinners. Jesus came to die for those people that we would push in front of that bus. And in reality, we are those people that should be pushed in front of that bus. That's who Jesus died for. He didn't come and die for those that have it all together. He came and died for those who that are still at this very moment his enemy. He died for those that have, that have not chosen to follow him. What a powerful verse. He didn't wait for us to get it together or to get our act together or to get ourselves cleaned up. He died for us right where we are. You know, Jesus told the story of the parable of the prodigal son. And I, and I love the story. And the idea in that story at the end is the idea that this father who's been rejected by his son, it's almost like he's sitting on his porch. Like he's sitting on his porch in his rocking chair. And he's just looking off in the distance, hoping that one day his son will come home. And when he sees his son, what does it say that he does? He gets up and he runs to him and he puts a robe around him and they throw a party. That is a perfect picture to me of who God really is. That is what God wants to do in our lives. He sent his son so that you and I could be forgiven. He's already sent his son for that. You may be sitting here today and you may not feel very lovable. And yet I want you to know that God loves you so much. God loves you so, so incredibly much. Like I think I understand love. But I don't understand love compared to how God loves and compared to how he feels about us. The last verse I want us to look at is in 1 John chapter 2. John writes this. It says, my dear children, I write this so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. It means he took our place. And not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. Do you realize the cross is so important because Jesus' death is able to cover the sins of the whole world? He's able to cover everybody. Okay? He's able to cover every sin that every person in this world commits. What do we have to do? We just have to accept that. But the reality is, you know what? No matter how bad somebody feels about themselves, no matter how many horrible things they've done, God is able to forgive us because of what Jesus did on that cross. Those people in your life that you, you, you get so mad at, you think they're so horrible, guess what? Jesus died for their sins too. His death is able to cover their sins as well. And so as I think about this verse, there's likely to be two kind of groups that hear this today. And I want you to understand that, you know what, no matter how good you are, like the Pharisees in the New Testament, no matter how good you are, you still need Jesus on that cross. Like you could never be good enough to earn your salvation. And so sometimes it's so easy for us as Christians to get smug and to get arrogant because like we're doing what God wants us to do and we're God's people. You know what? No matter who you are, no matter how good you are, you still need Jesus on that cross. You can't be good enough to have earned it. You can't be good enough to deserve it. And so remember that. Remember that as you're working in the world, as you're treating people in the world, you still need Jesus on that cross. The second group of people that could be sitting here is this, is you know what? No matter how bad you think you've been, like your old pastor, you don't know what I've done. He knows what you've done. Okay, no matter how bad that you think you have been, you need nothing more than Jesus on that cross. 
You don't need to fix it all. You, don't, you can't change it. Okay? You need nothing more. All you need is Jesus on that cross. So if you're sitting here and you feel like you're really good, you need to remember that you need Jesus on that cross. And if you're sitting here and you feel pretty bad about yourself, I want you to know that God loves you and you, you don't need anything else but Jesus on that cross. And so my encouragement to all of us is to think about it. Have, have we accepted God's grace in our lives? Have we accepted the grace that God is offering us through the cross? And if not, why not? When you go home today or at some point this week, I want you to read in the Old Testament, there's a couple of passages that sound very similar to the gospel accounts of the cross. Prophecies of what's going to happen to Jesus. Psalm 22, Isaiah 53. And Isaiah 53, I'm going to read a little bit. He says, Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Thank you, Jesus, for what you did for me. Thank you, Jesus, what he did for all of us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your incredible love for me, for every single person sitting in this room, for every person in our world that you love each one of us and you want nothing more than our, for our relationship with you to be restored. I thank you that you sent your son Jesus to make it possible. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be messengers of hope as we leave this building, Lord. I pray that you would help us not to be arrogant and smug and looking down on people, but help us to be messengers of love and grace and hope to the people in our lives. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at wvcch.org or you can join us live in one of our Sunday services. Have a great day. Forget all my rebellion